0: Original Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. Would you do me a favor when you're done listening? Would you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast? We need your reviews to take us to the top. Thanks. Now let's get to it. This week, we take a look at businesses in the region as they roll out the new normal. Estates start to reopen. What will that look like?
1: This is not fun and games. This is a potentially
2: deadly disease. We just can't Go back to the way things were.
0: What should employers do to get ready and and what should workers be thinking about? We asked the experts who give advice. Then Philadelphia prisons saw nearly 200 COVID-19 infections, but the department has finally turned a corner. It really has impacted our operations. And look back and forward as the Philadelphia jails prepare for a new normal. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is the new normal. Pennsylvania businesses are gearing up to reopen across the state and in Philadelphia. The restrictions will begin to lift next week. Business owners are trying to figure out what is required by the CDC and EEOC regarding accommodations and what they must do to keep employees and the public safe. So what are the changes? Who's going to pay for it? and will it be enough? With us to discuss this Flashpoint is Dr. Larry Kaplan. He is CEO of Docs Health. He's also a healthcare logistics expert. We also have Sharon Dietrich, an attorney with Community Legal Services, and Shauna and Angel Huff, co-owners of Simps Cafe and me store in Montgomery County. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you welcome. You. I want to start with you, Dr. Kaplan. There's going to have to be a new normal for businesses what should business owners be thinking about right now?
2: Right out of the box, business owners need to put together a plan, and they need to actually have a written plan. They need that. They need to take that plan and break it into two separate components. One component is based on their employees, and then one will be based on their customers. Underneath each of those, they need to have a process in place for pre-screening to identify who may be infectious before they ever get to their, their location. The first stop is to try and keep people from ever getting in who, who are potentially sick or infected. The second is, how do you actually screen people at the door? That's your barrier area. So are you temperature testing? or Do you have a pre-screening kiosk, a device that allows for that? We're implementing a lot of that across the country in a lot of businesses. The customers want to make sure that they're coming to a safe environment and your employees need to know that you've put into place the protections that they can reasonably expect to have so that they go home safe to their families.
0: Yeah, and that tees you up, Sharon. I mean, employees, they're concerned. A lot of them have been home and pretty soon they're gonna have to come back to work what should they be thinking about in terms of accommodations?
1: For many workers, it's not as easy as, oh, here's the call. I'm going to go back to work. They have a lot of things to think about in many circumstances. Some will not. Some will know uh, it's time. the time is right and I'm ready to go back. Or maybe, frankly, they don't want to go back, but they don't have a, a good reason. But many people will have very legitimate concerns and issues to work through before they're in a position to go back. So for instance, let's start with health and safety on on the job. Um, I'm glad to hear the idea that an employer should have a plan. Um, That employer should not only have a plan about how they're going to keep the environment safe uh, and deal with health issues, but they should share it with the person before they come back so that a worker can uh, really assess in a concrete way is this a place where if I'm dealing with the public or I have lots of coworkers who are usually next to me, I'm going to be able to feel safe. I'm going to know that my health is being looked out for. If there's somebody who is of high risk, higher than average risk, let's say um, they have a heart condition or a lung condition or they're immunosuppressed, or they live with somebody with those issues, they're going to have very different legitimate concerns about coming back to work than the average person might. What if they have no childcare? I'm talking with a woman, uh, actually we've had a a couple of clients at CLS who have been called back to work, but their daycare is not reopened and they don't have a place to put their kids. Or maybe the daycare is reopening, but they have not been satisfied yet as to whether or not it's gonna be safe Is the daycare provider um, adhering to the CDC regulations. So these are all really important issues for workers to think about and communicate with their employers about. Yeah, and I want to bring uh, Angel and and Shana in here because you guys have a new
3: business. It's a cafe. What are you all thinking about as we gear up to reopen? We do have a service window where people can walk up to the window. From outside that we can serve that way. We're hoping to maybe get some outside seating. We don't have a lot of room, so it might only be two, three tables outside, but that's what we have planned now. We did get estimates for the sneeze guards all around our counters, but right now we just have our window that we could serve out of.
0: When this COVID-19 hit your business, newly formed business, what went through your mind when everything got shut
3: down? Panic. We panic. Shauna has a son who has chronic illness. I'm pregnant and we didn't want to risk our family without all the knowledge being out there about the virus. So we shut down immediately just to take precaution. We tried to open back up through the window for one day and then we found out some close relatives had positive corona cases. So we got paranoid again and shut down again and now we're just planning are open, Dr. Kaplan, I mean, you hear this. I mean, the employers themselves, yeah. the people who own the businesses are
0: nervous. Um, are there specific steps? I mean, we're talking about, you said, checking people who come in, masking. I mean, a lot of people are going to be doing this outdoor seating. Um, okay. Are there steps people can take? And where do they go to check this stuff out?
2: You're absolutely right. The, there were a couple of things. One, I have all of my offices open across the United States. And the, one of the things that I really underestimated was the emotional impact that this has on my own employees. So what, every one of my employees got the training manual before they came back. We did an all-call nationally with everyone And then every single day, we brought them back in in small groups and they were all trained one by one through what the procedures were going to be in the office. But we changed everything. In order to come in, well, look at at Shauna and Angel's business. They're going to need to have disposable menus, right? So they're going to now be photocopying menus. They're not going to be passing them from, from patron to patron. They're going to need to deal with how they're going to clean their tables between yeah. customers and how they're going to, to handle the timing of all of that spacing of people who are waiting to come in and be seated. All of those things you need to be focused on and pay and paying attention to your staff are going to wear masks, right? And because you need to make sure that your staff is protected and you're protecting the patrons from your staff. So one of the things that you can look to do is, we are now suggesting that that individual businesses have their customers it, i don't know what you will have reservations but customers that before they come they go onto an app and fill out a health questionnaire it gives them a qr code that clears them that they that they're they're telling you up front they don't have any symptoms and they haven't been exposed and then you are going to have a temperature kiosk scanning kiosk right at your space and they can show the scan the QR code and put their wrist in, take their temperature, you know, they don't have a fever and that they're cleared. And now that person's in in your space. So you're doing everything you can to pro- try and protect against somebody coming into your space who's potentially infected. And you also have to do the same thing on the employee side, because you don't want, the worst thing for you would be to have an employee who's positive and symptomatic. And then has a whole day worth of customers that they've now served and spent all this time with and exposed. Right. The, 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 you know, Sharon will be able to speak to what the liability is associated with all of that. Yeah. But, but there's procedures through all of these steps and you really want to make sure that you've thought through that you've actually written them down and that everybody understands them. But we're, we're getting, customers that are saying yes i'm i'm happy i want to go do these things so i'm happy to go fill this app out and then know everywhere i go that has these devices i can scan through
0: and i gotta say that i mean and, and one of the things at my job we have to send in our temperature uh but to confirm that we have a certain temperature or below a certain temperature before we can step into the building and so sharon are there limits though because i mean employees are like
1: oh my gosh Do I have to share all this personal information? The limits would mostly be out of the Americans with Disabilities Act, the legal limits on employers. And um, that law is administered by uh, an agency called the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And EEOC has shown some tolerance for employers asking those kinds of questions, given that we are in a pandemic and there is this idea of being a direct threat and that you don't want employees being direct threats to each other or to customers so asking those questions is probably legal but then there you come down to the issues of what you do with that information so for one thing um, if one of your employees is um, positive for coronavirus, you can't just tell everybody, hey, Jane Doe is positive. Um, you've got to be very circumspect about either that information or any other information that's been collected in the medical process. You've got to keep it confidential. You've got to keep it separate from other personnel information. And also anything else that you might learn about a, a person's health does not become fair game to just do what you want as an employer. Again, you have to look at, is this person's health going to impact on how they do the job? Do they need some kind of accommodation to do the job? Um, frankly, it's a complicated thing uh, to do, as I'm sure Dr. Kaplan would tell you, right. uh, but it needs to be done very carefully and thoughtfully uh, in order to comply with all the laws.
2: Now, Sharon, in, in talking about that, one of the interesting aspects of the, of what we've seen is that by utilizing a healthcare organization to capture that information, the employer's not holding it. So, and it's being held by, you know, a healthcare organization, much like you would have your doctor or your hospital where you would give that information to them. And they, of course, as a healthcare organization, you're, you're obligated by law to go ahead and protect that information and not disclose it. And then it's a matter of, okay, it's being secured properly and it's being disposed of at the proper frequency. So there there are opportunities, Sharon's exactly right, and there are opportunities yeah. to do this in a really meaningful, deliberate way, but that will protect the employer, but then also protect them from the, you know, the public safety risks associated with not putting these things into place.
0: Yeah, and this is uh, this is a lot uh, for, and this, these are for these are for sophisticated, I think, employees, employers who have lots of employees. You're trying to, you can implement these systems for, and we at Philadelphia is home to thousands and thousands of smaller businesses too, who accommodate people. So, Donna and, and Angel, I mean, when you hear all of these things, what goes through your mind? Of like. What
4: needs to be done? What What are you thinking about? It's overwhelming, to be honest with you. Me coming from a healthcare situation before opening my business, I was subject to getting the uh, temperatures taken before I walked into the building and things like that. And I've seen firsthand how employees hate it. They don't like it. They don't, they don't, they feel like, why are you taking my temperature? Why do I have to stand here and wait? I have to clock in at eight o'clock, it's 8.05. So there's a whole lot of, um, different feelings that come with that, even though the businesses are trying to protect the employees. Um, And we certainly want to protect not only ourselves, but the employees that work with us too. So now I'm thinking, how are we going to get thermometers? And how are we? (laughs) uh,
3: The cost of, you know, um, monitoring it daily.
2: Uh, Are our customers?
3: Really going to want to, you know, come in and just grab a cup of coffee and get their temperatures taken just for a cup of coffee.
2: If you can automate a lot of it, it helps a lot. And these kiosks and things like that that we're that we're seeing go into place are twenty five hundred dollars. Yep. So it's not, you know, ten thousand dollars to get your business back open again. In healthcare, we just can't yep. go back to the way things were and not put into place the protections that need to be there, or else we're gonna end up with a huge spike and we're gonna end up with a whole lot of sick people again.
0: How do you feel about enforcement, especially when you talk about people in the public? We've seen pushback from folks saying no mask, no entry. I've seen that. And I've been a witness
3: to customers getting PO'd, being told they have to wear a mask. It's just gonna to have to be what it's gonna be. <laughs> no, no mask, mask no, no business. business. Because we just can't, we just don't want to risk it. Unfortunately, we are just starting now. So we don't want to like turn people away, but we may have to. Very risky. If
4: we even open the doors to allow them to come inside, not to have a mask one. I I, I just, they have to have one. I I know, you know, and, and we know a lot of people in this community. We grew up with a lot of people in this community. We see them all the time. We talk to them all the time, but that doesn't say that you may be a carrier and you just
0: aren't showing symptoms. Dr. Calvin, do you guys give any advice to these employers? Because especially where public folks coming in and out, it's serious sometimes. We've seen people get actually killed or injured because they're trying to, to
2: enforce the new rule. Enforcement is a challenge, but from the healthcare side of this, look, this is not the flu. This is serious. I've had family members die from COVID already. So there are legitimate concerns and and you don't know who else in your in who happened to, would be in your cafe that may have diabetes or a cardiac condition or a lung pre-existing lung condition all of which have severe outcomes as a result of it. Everyone has to assume a certain level of personal responsibility for how we're going to take care of it. The government was great at scaring everybody enough to getting everybody to stay home. We all learned a lot as a community. We learned a lot about how we transferred infections to each other. And we now have to apply that and people need to assume that responsibility. So I completely agree with, with, with angel and that you need, people need to wear a mask if they're going to come in because they're, most likely. The one who refuses may very well be the, the one who's going to infect everybody in your place.
0: Sharon, comment on here because, you know, I've heard people say, you know, what is your legal rights here? Can you enforce this? And then- Are there ways that people can say
1: you know you're discriminating against me by not letting me in people use the word discrimination not very effectively um and just because you're being told something does not mean you're being discriminated against in an illegal way and if you're being instructed you can't come in because you put people at risk of a public health problem Um, that is not going to be illegal in any way, shape or form that I can see. So I would encourage people not to take that frankly too seriously as a legal matter. Um, I understand it's maybe a customer relations matter and that is difficult, but nobody has the right to force their way in without wearing a mask just because they want to. What if you are a business that says, you know what? We're tiny. We don't want to do anything. We're just going to operate
0: and, and see, are there are there repercussions for that? And I'll start with you, Sharon. Just pick that up. Are there repercussions if you don't do anything?
1: Yeah, there could be. Um, I mean, there's some discussion in Congress about protecting business from liability for COVID-19 claims, but that has not passed. So if an employer uh, or a business is not careful, um, they could find themselves sued if they haven't taken proper precaution. Um, And in terms of the employees, I mean, what's ironic is uh, uh, on this forum, we have all people who are enlightened. Not all employers are enlightened. Let me tell you, we're hearing from a lot of unenlightened employers that are putting their customers and their workers in real danger by saying, okay, it's time to reopen, come on back to work. And know that if your employer is not willing to take the appropriate Um, cautions that you can tell them, no, I'm not coming back to work because you have not reassured me. You're not doing what the CDC says. You're not doing what OSHA says. And by the way, both the CDC and OSHA have some pretty good guidance on their website that is industry specific. So Shauna and Angel, I don't know whether they have something on restaurants. I believe they do do. um, to give you some specific advice about how to apply this to your industry. Workers can look at that, too, and say to their employers, are you doing the deep cleaning? Are you providing the the plexiglass shield? Are you um, going to socially distance? And if they can't get the correct answers, they do have the right to say, I just can't feel safe coming back. Um, and then, um, unfortunately, they're going to have to convince unemployment that they had a good reason to do that. But um, as Dr. Kaplan has said, this is not This is not fun and games. This is a potentially deadly disease, and people um, need to make very careful and thoughtful decisions about what they're going to do if they cannot trust their employer to um, take
3: good care. Sorry. Do you have any advice on how to stock up on these cleaning supplies? Because we go to the store, we can't find cleaning supplies. Sometimes we can't find our inventory. That's also been a challenge for us too. With
2: I I can, I can tell you that I'm called from dentists offices to restaurants, to all kinds of businesses um, where they can't find the proper personal protective equipment that they need to have in order for them to be able to open. um, We help them. We've helped them source that material that they need in order to be able to get it. And, it's unfortunate it's it's really hard for the smallest smaller employers because they don't have the suppliers that are paying attention to them because they're not a big customer so the big customers are getting the getting in the inventory and the smaller ones are scrambling for things um, I you know I get stories reported to me where people feel like they're effectively dealing in the black market trying to get what they need in order to be able to open their business and they're like seriously i'm not going to be able to open my business because i can't find a box of gloves that's going to be the thing that keeps me from starting my business i would start to look for that stuff now start to uh, uh, you know acquire it at in 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 dribs and drabs as you can so that you have it and then be in a position so when you're ready to open You have what you need to open and you're not standing there and saying, I can't open because I'm missing this one little thing that's crazy that I can't seem to come across. Right. The other thing I would suggest that you do is team up. So get in touch with other businesses that are like you or smaller businesses in your area and have them team up with you. So one of the things that we're suggesting is, you know, if you're a small cafe, but you happen to be where there's a row of small businesses all in the same area, what we're telling them to do is, okay, together, collectively, get one check device so you're spreading that cost out and then have all of your customers use the one device and use the same app. And then that way you've taken it and spread it over 25 of you and it costs you $100 in order to be able to do it, right? That also for buying power, do the same thing. Say, look, I found a place where I can get masks and they're 25 cents a piece. And, you know, and I can get, but I have to buy a thousand of them mm. and I don't need a thousand of them, but I need a hundred and you need a hundred and you need a hundred and you need a hundred. So I found the masks, you found the gloves. This one found the ketchup packets for the, you know, because you're not going to be able to use ketchup bottles and pass yeah. them from- customer to customer so work as a collective and and find ways to drive your costs down and source things that's really helpful i think
0: yeah, okay. yeah. thank you yes yeah, and that's great advice and so legally sharing what should businesses be thinking about as they they close this as we get ready to wrap up because it's like they need to be you know thinking ahead as as this they're going to be opening up in the next few weeks
1: yeah i i think the point about preparing early and deeply is absolutely right um, because there will be things that you haven't even thought about like maybe the ketchup packets right Um, until you go to open your business and suddenly it occurs to you oh should um, my customers be handling that um, bottle back and forth to each other Um, the other advice I would give is uh, talk about this with a lot of people especially your employees Um, Because your employees are going to to know what they think they need in order to stay safe. Uh, At Community Legal Services, we've actually done a questionnaire of our employees, an extensive questionnaire, asking them about return to work and their worries and their advice. And they've given us ideas that we hadn't thought about. So um, everyone should, I think, uh, just... Be very engaged in this process as being something new that they haven't done before and that they're going to really need to think very deeply about and prepare very deeply for. As you consider like next steps, what is your, what are your next steps going to look
0: like uh, as you get closer to reopening? Uh,
3: The sneeze guards around all our counters. First and foremost,
0: um, um, we again we
4: had the bars taken off of the side windows, so we're able to open that and serve through there, sanitizing and cleaning, and figuring out our employees <laughs> and what what's the
3: next step for them. This actually gave us a lot to think about, so it's going to be a journey moving forward. We've been open um, on the weekends since January, but March was like our first kind of like profit month, so it really stunk for us to have to close and you know, at, at that time, but we, we have to figure out, you know, how are we going to, you know, pay for these these guards? How are we going to pay for our inventory to get back open? How are we going to pay for our rent, our electric, like all that is coming at once. So this is a journey for everybody. And so as we wrap up,
0: because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap it up. I just want to give, you know, what the new normal, give us a
1: vision of what you think this new normal will be once we get through this journey, this transition process? I think it's going to be a lot of accommodation. I think we're going to be doing a lot of things differently than we did um, three months ago. We're going to have a lot more people working at home if they can. Um, Maybe that was something that in the past we were not all that excited about, but now we've seen that it works and it keeps people safe. I think we're going to be making lots of adjustments to the way that our workplaces run in order to minimize this um, this terrible disease that we're continuing to to be threatened by, even though uh, we may be reopening. Yeah, Sean and Angel, what will in the, once you're all done and through this, what is your vision for what your business will look
0: like?
3: Um, we're still trying to figure out our vision because our vision was to have people in our business and you know be <laughs> be able to come here and relax and read a book and drink their coffee. So. With the summer, maybe you know they could still do that outside, but with the winter coming, it's gonna be another adjustment for us, I think. Yeah, still working on that vision. Final word, Dr. Kaplan.
2: Employers used to assume that their responsibility on healthcare was to make sure that we had health insurance and basically counting sick days. Now, we have a responsibility to provide a safe environment for the transmission of disease. Before we had to create a safe environment for you know, making sure nobody got hurt by something. But now transmission of disease has been become has become part of what the employer's responsibilities are. And that's going to change how all of these businesses operate. Every single business is going to need to have their solutions in place. And ultimately, 10 years from now, we're going to look back and say that COVID-19 was the single greatest public health advancement in the history of the last hundred years. People are now aware, they're doing the things we asked them to do in public health all along, washing their hands, not coughing on each other. But we could ultimately end up with a healthier population as a result of it, because everybody's learned something.
0: To Sharon Dietrich, thank you to Shauna and Angel Huff, and thank you to Dr. Larry Kaplan for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Next up, when COVID-19 hit, Philadelphia prisons went on lockdown. But now they're gearing up to let up.
5: We'll know who's asymptomatic and now positive, And now that will inform how we reopen.
0: The breakthrough that will help guide the new normal on the inside. We'll be right back. Hey, Flashpoint family, if you like what you hear, why don't you stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes or our Flashpoint extras. One example is our exclusive interview with the one and only DJ Jazzy Jeff. He contracted COVID-19. He had some dark moments, but he survived. Take a listen to his journey. Another example is our past Newsmaker of the Week, Andrew Wyatt. He's spokesman for actor and comedian Bill Cosby. He explains why they're petitioning the governor to hopefully get the cause out of jail early all of this and more please subscribe to the podcast and rate and review now back to the show This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week is the Philadelphia Prisons Department. In recent days, the city announced it would test all inmates in its jails. Currently, two inmates are still battling COVID-19. 197 have tested positive since March. As the region begins to reopen, what will it look like on the inside? With me to discuss this Flashpoint is Philadelphia Prisons Commissioner Blanche Carney. Welcome to Flashpoint, Commissioner. Thank you for having me. First of all, how are you doing personally? I know that a lot of families Have been impacted by COVID 19. Is everybody with your family okay?
5: Yes, everyone is safe with my family. really encouraging them to practice social distancing, washing of the hands, wearing of the mask. I mean, very intentional about that, but thank God all of my family members are safe.
0: That's good to hear. The prisons have been very busy since this pandemic kicked off nine, 10 weeks ago.
5: From the outset, this pandemic has really allowed us to stand up a response in such a short amount of time, given uh, that it is an airborne virus. It was just full throttle from the beginning. And you're trying to manage um, that to ensure the safety and security of the population. It really has impacted our operations. Um, it is not business as usual, but it was necessary so that we could mitigate the spread of disease in the congregate settings such as the prison.
0: Currently, there have been two people only now battling COVID-19, but total 197 had tested positive.
5: That's correct. So from the outset, and wanted to explain those numbers, we had 276 folks tested and 197 um, tested positive. And the two remaining current positives are those folks from that cohort, when we were only testing symptomatic folks. So those are inmates that presented with the symptoms of COVID. That was based on CDC guideline recommendations and also guidance from the Philadelphia Department of Public Health. At that time, at the outset of COVID-19, tests were not readily available. And we wanted to make sure that we were not just expending and going through tests uh, just across the board because you could not get your hands on them. And so we were only testing those folks who were symptomatic. As of May 20th, Mm -hmm. we were able to gain access to tests. And that put us in a position to do one-time universal testing of the entire population. We are well into that process of testing all of uh, the inmates who are in custody now. And what that will give us an opportunity is to assess how many asymptomatic people are testing positive. So we were following the CDC guidelines and the recommendations in partnership with the Philadelphia uh, Department of Public Health to best utilize testing, isolate, and or quarantine folks who were symptomatic at the onset, but now we're in a better position having tests, You do one-time universal testing and any new admissions thereafter. And that gives us a a better position on how we're going to uh, continue our existing protocol, which was to quarantine new admissions for 14 days to really assess and and have an opportunity to see who was positive because we wanted to make sure that people being admitted uh, were treated properly but didn't spread the virus going into general population. So we changed that protocol. Also, when we received a positive test, we put folks in isolation as required by the CDC recommendations for 14 days. And they're being assessed, they're having their temperatures taken, and they have to be free of symptoms prior to coming out of the isolation. And so this was an intricate process that we stood up rather quickly. We also had to stand up issuing personal protective equipment to the uh, staff who were providing services and security on those isolation and quarantine units. The mass is crucial. At the outset, we did not have cloth masks. We stood that up in record time with our Correctional Industries Unit receiving that template and mass producing masks. So we produced to date over 32,000 masks um, that we've distributed to the inmate population and the staff. So this is a massive operation in response to a pandemic. You can prepare, prepare, prepare. But when it happens, you have to execute. How many people passed away because of COVID-19?
0: We had one staff person and one inmate. That must have been tough on everybody uh, dealing with that. When you look back now, I mean, what were the biggest challenges?
5: The biggest challenges were to give everyone information, the staff, the inmate population. It's crucial that you share information, but you have to make sure the information is accurate. This was like a situation like no other. And so the fear of the unknown creates anxiety, fear. Um, People start to internalize and sometimes shut down emotionally. And that creates a a, a variety of issues that can then foster. So one of the things was how fast we disseminated information, how Mm -hmm. fast we were able to get the PPE out to the population. Standing up social distancing in a congregate setting um, is not easy. However, we were able to do that. And so that's anything from signage posted on the walls and common areas, on MA housing units, staff areas, placing colorful markings on the floors, so that staff and inmates can observe visually what is six feet apart, making sure that you have sanitation uh, and sanitizing protocols in place. From the outset, the CDC really gave good information. What do we do? We have to sanitize between use of phones, shared equipment, doorknob, mm-hmm. you name it. So you have that protocol in place, PPE in place. Now, this is the big part. We go from ongoing just general day-to-day operations, programs, activities, inmate work assignments, civilian visits, business as usual. When this happened, we had to step back and we executed the plan and walked our way back into where we are now, which is shelter in place. The spread did call for the suspension of all of those programs, services, temporary, uh, the the civilian uh, visits. You had to suspend those. Why? Because it's the airborne virus. We're in a Uh, closed congregate setting. So you're now mitigating in what ways can we reduce the introduction and the spread. In addition to that and layering that on with the suspension, we now have staff that are reporting every day and they're performing their duties, whether it's uniform staff, medical or contracted food service provider, social service staff. We stood up thermal screening at the front door so that any staff coming in to one of our facilities across the campus needed and is required to this day to get a thermal screening. That's our first line of defense. We're asking a series of questions, and this is on a daily basis, however often you go to these facilities. We cannot take it uh, for granted. You're going to be asked those questions. You must wear a mask at all times. And then you're able to gain entrance if you're not Uh, able to gain entrance. The staff is informed what to do. If you have a high temperature, you cannot enter. We're Mm -hmm. sending you home to self-quarantine for 14 days. We're encouraging staff uh, to get tested. Testing is voluntary. The city has stood up several sites across the city. Now that testing has become readily available, we're encouraging staff to go get tested.
0: Uh, I did talk to some folks, and I mean, Movita johnson Harrell had been uh, incarcerated, you know, within um, the prison system, but she didn't have a temperature. She got out, found out she had COVID-19. There's a lot of people. These are the asymptomatic uh, types who don't present as having the types of symptoms, was that a challenge? You knew the symptomatic folks,
5: but you didn't know who was asymptomatic because the tests weren't readily available. Once they became readily available, test the entire population. Now we know what we're dealing with, but you still had to shelter in place because shelter in place was crucial. And I know um, know, a lot of folks have thoughts about that, but that was how we were able to mitigate and stop the massive spread of COVID-19 in this congregate setting. So at that time, um, you figure a population around 4,276 276 folks presented as symptomatic, 197 tested positive, we had 177 recover. But that was the right thing to do because if you did not go into a shelter in place, you risk higher numbers. You have to still provide services To the inmate population, that hasn't stopped. We implemented the uh, temperature checks. That was one of the indicators that would give us the trigger to then administer that test. And so now we're in a much better position than from the, the beginning.
0: And how did the, the reduction of the prison population help and what impact did it have?
5: From March 16th, when it just took off, we provided in partnership and working with the criminal justice partner, the courts, the district attorney's office, public defenders, some private counsel. We identified a population of folks that they had served half of their sentence already. They were uh, medically fragile. They had underlying uh medical conditions that would have uh, compromised them or put them at greater risk. We looked at the pretrial population who had low level offenses. Taking all of this into consideration, you have to balance it with public safety. So our population from the 16th of March to date has been reduced about 19%. And so that was all of us working collectively. We're at 3884 today. Mm -hmm. And again, that process is continuing. We had to stand up virtual courts, make inmates available for court. It's not business as usual, but the courts have um, uh, maintained that they're still trying to reduce the population working uh, in concert with the district attorney's office and the the public defender's office and private counsel. We're offering um, virtual visitation using uh, the equipment from the first judicial district Once those um, activities uh, have concluded for the day, we make them available for public defenders and the private bar um, attorneys to have contact. We also have um, cell phones inside that the staff um, are are allowing the inmates to use to to, um, have that contact. But this is a, a major change in our operation. And when you think about, you go from being open with ongoing open activity to shelter in place, still having requirements that have to be met. Uh, You have to be thoughtful and diligent how you deliver those services, but keeping your hand always on how do you mitigate the spread? And I think doing that early on put us in a position where our numbers um, would believed would have been extremely high. They haven't been, but I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting the results of the asymptomatic tests. And so once we have that information um, of the entire population being tested, we plan to release the results uh, the first week of June.
0: Will universal testing help you get to a place where you can go back to a new normal? Yes,
5: because now that we will know the results, We'll be able to now say what unit is going to remain in quarantine based on what's presented, who's positive and tested. They'll remain in isolation. And now we start to walk our way back to a new normal. We're still exploring various uh, methods on how we're going to deliver services in a congregate setting. And the goal is to not hit the switch. That's not the best approach. We'll need to step back and we have our team working the same way we implemented our response to COVID-19. Our team is working now to reopen. And the new normal may may look that you only have a certain amount of people reporting to facilities at a given time. We've staggered staff schedules, staggered how services are delivered, because you still have to maintain social distancing and really wear your mask, wash your hands, make sure the areas are sanitized, and this is changing everything that we do.
0: There had been criticism, um, Commissioner. People had said they didn't have access to wash, being able to wash their hands. They said the masks were super thin and people couldn't wash them. You know, people were calling. There had been these town halls where inmates were calling, saying how afraid they were. How did you, did you hear about this? And And, and, and just your response to the way people view things as being handled?
5: I was following the criticism from the very beginning. And my approach is criticism will come, but how do you respond? How do you maintain operations? And so when we were making the cloth mask, we stood that up. We were issuing out the cloth mask, the PPE equipment, the gloves, the hand sanitizers. Uh, we put in additional hand sanitizers across all of our facilities, administrative lobbies, so people could just, hey, it's there use it. One of the things, and it was a lot of criticism and people are scared. When fear comes in, people are going to react. They're going to respond. They're going to tell their story based on how they're feeling. And you have to acknowledge it. But it's getting the information out to them. It's getting information that um, you, you, you saw and, and the, in, the inmate population saw, hey, they're letting all these people out. Everybody's getting, no, everyone's not getting out. There's a criteria for folks to be released. So you have to make sure now you're balancing what they're reading in the newspaper from around the country or the daily news that, you know, these people, the prisons is letting everyone go. Misinformation. Yeah. And then how do you deal with the folks that cannot get out because of their charges? You have to share information. And I think information was key. We were able to just stay steady. You can't respond and react to every criticism. You have to do what you know to do. And that's the safety, security, and the preserved lives. And we did that. And I know we've been criticized, well, why do you report it this way? And why do you report the numbers? Because it's based on the scientific data. Once you've been tested, you have that threshold, isolation, symptom-free, and now we want to make sure that any other underlying issues is treated. We need to protect you from the asymptomatic and vice versa, but now having universal testing is just gonna put us in a better position to say now let's walk our way back.
0: One of the issues I had was the reporting of the numbers. It was difficult to see, cause it was like current, the recovering people were subtracted, so it was like, but now you guys put both of the numbers up there. As things were, came out, I feel like there were shifts in the protocols and the way things were, were delivered to the public?
5: You know, we were up against the national narrative. And so you're getting inundated with news. Well, why is the prisons doing? Well, it's a virus. And it does have a, a factor where you can recover. You know, a majority of the folks that have had COVID, you've seen it, I've seen it, they're recovering from that. So we wanted to make sure that we're reporting in the current positives, which meant that those folks could potentially transmit and spread. But once you're recovering and you come through that 14-day period, and again, this was not arbitrary. This was following line-by-line line CDC guidelines, working in strong partnership with the Department of Public Health in yeah. this congregate setting. And once we receive the overall test results for the asymptomatic population, we don't know where they are in uh, the recovery process, but at least we'll know they tested positive.
0: Yeah, and I will say that in Montgomery County, when they did the the universal testing there, eighteen percent of the population, which was a shocking number, given what the numbers are in the general population. But I got to ask you do you uh, do you feel like the the city and the, and the department, the prisons department, has turned a corner here?
5: I, I think we have because when when you respond to a pandemic, there are a lot of things you don't know and you're learning as you're implementing. And so once you're able to implement and you realize, OK, this is working, you can expand. But it also has to be flexibility to say, OK, is, if, if that's not the best approach, what else is needed to stand up? And I think the city has done a great job at doing that. I think um, the prisons has done the same. I think we're turning the corner now. And when I say turning the corner, it's because we have tests. We know who's positive, uh, who is symptomatic, who's We'll know who's asymptomatic and now positive, and now that will inform how we reopen. That's going to really inform operations, and some of the operations will have to be reimagined. And so I think you're turning the curve, but this is not the time to become um, so optimistic that you throw out everything, and you throw caution to the wind and say, you know what, guess what, 100%, we're open back up. That's not the best approach.
0: And so what's the timeline for this new normal rollout?
5: We're going to allow the testing to guide us on how we roll this out. We'll have the results the first week of June. And we're going to be very intentional on how we expand. Um, Can't give the exact timeline. It may take us through June and July. But the team, the team, I have such a great team here at the prison, the staff also, we're going to be digging into our details. Because based on the projections, we may have a second wave in the fall. And so all that we know, we have to be diligent and thorough and patient enough um, to walk through the process so that we can stop and mitigate any further spread.
0: And as we wrap up, any final message to folks who have people they care about, who are inside of the prison systems, as well as to your staff?
5: That weighs on me heavily because it's the fear of the unknown. Um, And it's really encouraging just to share information with the families that people are getting out of their cells, they're calling home, they have access to showers, phones, behavioral health, um, chaplaincy services, it's a scary time, but we are managing well. And I know there's a lot of misinformation and, uh, you know, people are still calling home and say, hey, I have COVID, you know, this is, but we're giving them the information. We're making sure they're quarantined or isolated so that they don't uh, spread and mitigate uh, and try to mitigate ongoing our operations. So, I just want the family members to know all that we're doing, and I highly um, suggest that they go to our website, see what we're doing, um, and just wanted to give the reasoning why we're in shelter in place in this congregate setting. And
0: so, Commissioner Blanche Carney, I just want to you know say thank you for coming on Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. Next up, a Philadelphia restaurant tour launches a campaign to unite the city and help the hungry.
6: Whether you're a school teacher, you're a nurse, you're a neighbor in need. The
0: COVID 19 relief effort and why it's reached thousands in just days. We'll be right back. back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platform. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KW. we are all about community, and a local restaurateur is serving style. He's behind a T-shirt campaign designed to get food into the hands of those impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. Here to tell us more about We Are Philly is creator Rob Wasserman. So, Rob, welcome to Flashpoint.
6: Thank you for having me.
0: First of all, where did you get this idea for We Are Philly?
6: Honestly, I've been probably sitting on it since 2016. Just a phrase always meant something special to me. You know, we've been around, I've been around in the Philly area for uh, quite some time now, kind of like talking to my wife and everything, you know, how we could help out in this type of situation. That's where I kind of brought that up. And so the initiative does what? One of my friends that is in the produce business, Giordano Groceries, who has been our grocer, you know, our produce grocer or vendor, let's put it that way, for my restaurants for since I can ever remember? He really pivoted quickly in the business world in the sense when the pandemic uh, happened, he pivoted towards these grocery boxes. They were really successful. And the, the opportunity to get it out to, from Marcello Giordano to get it out to the people that are in need right now that don't want to go to the grocery stores and so forth. And it was a huge success. It was a $35 box that valued at, you know, with a value of like $60. Marcello and I went to high school together. I've known him my whole life. He's, one, he's a dear friend of mine. So when I came up with this idea about the t-shirt, I called him up and I he said, hey, would you be interested in helping us out? Uh, if I, you know, for each t-shirt that we sell, you know, can I buy a box? And, you know create a, you know a smaller box that you know could work for like a weekly kind of thing and he was awesome He was like of course Rob whatever you want I don't think he expected to explode like it, you know like it has which is really funny but it's it's been a great success for her and need to be able to help with you know and having Marcello on the team and Giordano's on the team has been great
0: Yeah so the, the way it works is people buy this t-shirt this really cool t-shirt. That with the with the slogan "We are Philly," and when they buy it, one of those boxes goes to somebody.
6: Correct. So it, it's pretty simplistic in the sense that for each T-shirt purchase, you get uh, one. You also buy one box of uh, for the t- or for the groceries. So one box equals one T-shirt. And if you can imagine, I just looked at our numbers and we're up to 2,400 boxes already. So I was lucky enough, you know, like that people are really getting into this. My friends in the restaurant industry have really helped us out, you know, in the sense of uh, stepping up, getting the picture of, of themselves on the, on the shirts. And at this point, like really early, just even before we started, we said, you know what, it's not just about our industry. It's about Philadelphia, you know, as a whole. And that's where tying in that we are Philly, like we all are. It doesn't matter what position you're at, where you're at, whether you're a school teacher, you're a nurse, you're a neighbor in need, we're all part of the same group. I called up the mayor's office and was able to get in contact with them and they were thrilled. Since I saw this was blowing up, I needed more larger distribution ability than what having a thousand cars lined up at one of my restaurants. So we're now going to be tied together with the city to be able to distribute all these boxes of food uh, to the people that are in need, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah. So then you have 2,400 boxes of food. It's like, okay, we, we got to get this out to people. We got to figure
6: this out. Well, it's only been five days and we're already up to that 2,400. So it's, it's insane. It's really insane. But that shows, I think everybody wants to be able to be a part of something, no matter what, however, however limited it is. And, you know, we're, we're a sports town. and We love to have that kind of like energy. And I think we take pride in our city. You know, I certainly know I do. And I know a lot of people that do. So how can we give back to the people that are our neighbors or are the nurses or on our front line? And this is a great way. You get a great shirt. You get to show your, your pride in our, in our city, our hometown. And at the same time, you're doing a good deed. What has been the
0: reaction from the community? Or have you done the first major distribution yet?
6: it's been nuts. It's pretty funny how quickly this has has changed, but it's fine because now we've called on our employees to come in to help with the packing of the, the shirts and so forth. Like you never know. I mean, like even in times like this that are very tumultuous and so forth, you know, I think, positivity always happens and to be able to give back to the community and have people help out and get into it it just shows i mean like again philadelphia man it's a great town to be a part of
0: the shirts come in multiple colors but it seems (laughs) like everybody's back jumping on the green what's up with that
6: the green's uh definitely number one then blue then red but it's all the sports teams and that's what i love about it it's like you get to you get to choose what you want whatever color you want that if it suits you you're definitely being the sporty, you know, with, and also being, uh, you know, pro the city in, in the sense of you know, wearing the shirt, nice and yeah. proud.
0: It's a really cool idea and everybody's giving back in different ways. And I think Correct. it's also a, an idea that unifies us, which I think exactly. we, we need to feel that way. Like we're all together.
6: And 100%. And you know it as well as I like, no one could be left behind in a situation like this and like wherever you're at in your life or in wherever you're doing everybody went to a standstill you know that in march and it's interesting to see like how we're trying to claw our way back and we'll figure it out i mean like we're resilient people and we'll get there and it will definitely be tough no one's saying it's not going to be but like we should take pride in who we are and as a city i take extreme pride in that and you know you can see that from my friends who are in the industry they're all suffering but they're willing to still give back and i think that shows a lot to the temerity of our of our, our of who we are as a city
0: that's true and so where can people get these these awesome shirts um and and help and you know at the same time give a basket of food to someone who needs it
6: exactly so basically what we're doing is we're on instagram at, at @we.r.philly and you can go on there. There'll be links to there. It's our shop is actually on Shopfly, And uh, I guess we can link that up so you can see where that is. And then also on Facebook, we're linked there. I, we are Philly. And that allows you just you know, pop on there and you'll be able to get direct link to the, to the t-shirts.
0: Very awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rob coming on flashpoint and talking about this. And I wish you luck. Hashtag. We are Philly. We'll be right back. Are you disappointed in the timing of your home care paycheck or are you being paid at all? Call Patriot Home Care today and know that your paycheck will arrive on time and that you'll be well paid. As a leading home care provider in Pennsylvania, Patriot offers the most comprehensive benefits package in the state. You can qualify for free health care, 401k retirement benefits, paid sick time and vacations and time and a half pay for holidays. Who doesn't like that, right? So you can call Patriot Home Care today at 877-535-5550. That's 877-535-5550. Again, it's 877-535-5550. Flashpoint is produced by Cherry Gregg and associate producer Ariane Fulcher. Thanks for listening. for the flashpoint podcast i hope you enjoyed this exclusive content follow us on twitter our handle is flashpoint show you can also follow me at cherry greg if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar let us know and we'll walk you through the flames to quote anonymous safety isn't expensive it's priceless i'm your host cherry greg until next week thanks for listening